we take a look at the trials of Julian Maxwell and Josh, Josh Duggar and discuss the plague of pornography in general. We discuss how the church has failed in this area, and we discuss Roman Catholicism. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is a God of Freedom Show. This show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make it a podcast. So if you always want to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use and is also free. All you do is simply record your audio from your phone, computer, laptop, or wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can monetize it with sponsorships or donation buttons, and you can distribute sites like Apple like Podcasts, Spotify, or web listen to podcasts. Check it out at Anchor.fm or download the app against Anchor.fm or download the app. Alright, so we are back. I hope everyone has been having such a great week. So we have a lot to um, cover today, sort of, but I mean, we do have a lot to get to do, so let's uh, jump right into it. And I just want to give this warning right off the bat. So the topics we're dealing with is pretty sensitive stuff. So if you happen to have, I guess, kids listening in on this uh, podcast or whatever, um... I wouldn't listen listen to it with them um, nearby, just because just how sensitive this topic is regarding, and it does involve children as well, unfortunately. So I just I just want to get that warning right off the bat here before we get started. And so the topics we're going to be covering it involves a lot to do with uh, sexual immorality, mostly with kind of pornography and just child pornography and, and, and all that. So, so what we're going to start with is mainly the the two high-profile trials that have been, that have ended or are still going on uh, this past, in these uh, past couple weeks. It involves uh, Jelaine or Ghislaine or however you say her first name, Maxwell, and then Josh Duggar. And just, it all involves around the same, kind of same area. And so the first we're gonna we're gonna first start with uh, Josh Duggar. Let's kind of start with him and just move on into Glenn Maxwell, who kind of is a more deeper, bigger deal in terms of just how widespread it is. But so let's start with uh, Josh Duggar. So Josh Duggar is just um, excuse me, sorry about that. So if you recall, there was a show was on TLC, something like that, called 19 Kids and Counting. It involves the Ducker family. And he was one of the um, 19 kids that the, fa- um, the parents had. And so, Josh Duggar was recently convicted in court on his trial over, um, basically, a child pornography of viewing and, uh, I don't think being involved in it, but mo- mostly just viewing it, viewing uh, child pornography and having it on his computer and everything. And, um, I don't know the full sentencing so far, but imagine, oh, here we go. He's going to be facing up to 20 years in prison. It faces up to about $250,000. Honestly, that's not enough right there, honestly, just by the things he viewed. But I'll get to that in just a little bit. But anyways, he was convicted on that, tried pornography and everything. 
And unfortunately, you know, this is not something that's new to him. I mean, he was accused many years back of blessing his uh, sisters. And he has uh, cheated on his wife as well. And just many other things. So this has been a problem, a sin problem for him for a long time. And obviously he has not really dealt with it properly, unfortunately. Now, regarding kind of the details of, you know, what he was, you know, seeing and everything, I mean, of course, I'm not going to show or really describe anything, but from the cats I've seen, like on uh, the blaze right here, there's some really disgusting stuff that apparently he saw. That's why I think he should, I mean, get a much bigger sentence, because we're talking about children here. Children cannot consent to anything like that. And apparently some of the things he saw, the kid, it goes to about as young as like two years old. So you're talking about toddlers being sexually assaulted on video. And people are seeing it for, and viewing it for their personal pleasure. Like what in the, what in the world is that? What in the world? That is a whole nother level of depravity that I, just, I can't even imagine. And the fact that this guy was viewing it on a regular basis and was possessing it is just truly disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it really, it's truly disgusting. That's why 20 years is not enough for him. I mean, he should get like a, at least pretty much a life in prison, if not more, honestly. Is, I mean, just, it's horrible stuff. I mean, it's really horrible. I feel bad for his family, for his wife, for his kids, and everything because just of the stuff they're going to be dealing with. The kids are going to be without a father now, and just kind of the pain that his wife has to go through, and also the family overall. I mean, they're going to be probably just mocked and just assaulted for years to come because of this. And I don't know the Duggar family personally, so I don't know how, you know, they're all raised and everything, but from the looks of it, I mean, there's some children that turn out perfectly fine, who are really devout followers of Christ. But for, for Josh, I mean, he professes to be a follower of Christ, but his lifestyle doesn't really reflect that, especially regarding this. So that's why, I mean, but it's not too late for him, of course. I mean, there is hope, and of course, there's always hope in Jesus Christ. So Christians, I mean, we should be praying for him right now. We should be praying for his salvation, that God would draw him to full repentance and surrender. So that he be, can be found, find freedom from the sin. Because the sort of sin, it just, the way it takes hold, is, is a whole different level. It's like, it's a... Is an enslavement, pretty much. It's it is difficult to deal with. Now, I have not done dealt with personally. I'll get I'll get to my personal stuff a little later. But I've not dealt with a child child pornography, of course. I've not done any of that. But of course, pornography in general, I've struggled with that. But I'll, again, I'll get to that a little later on. But again, we do need to pray for uh, Josh Duggar and pray for his family. Pray that God will 
move through them and guide them and, and cover them during this time because it'll be it's gonna be a difficult time for them. So right now that's uh, just Josh Duggar's story, right now, and that probably got the most news all throughout the week. Simply because he is a Christian, and I think he leans conservative. That's the only reason why, of course, it got so much views. I mean, it should have gotten views any anyways. But that is the main. That uh, that seems from a lot of folks on the left stream media, that seems to be the kind of motivation. Just based on their reactions, they started blaming the whole family. They started blaming. Conservative uh, Christians overall for what Josh Duggar did started blaming the teachings of the Bible but purity culture and everything it's, it makes no sense but I expect nothing less from our entrusted media honestly and so the next uh, kind of person I want to get to is Jelaine sorry Jelaine Maxwell I, I, that's how I want to say it. I don't know. This, I've been I've heard many different ways to pronounce her first name, so I don't know the proper way. So I'm just gonna say Jelaine Maxwell. So Jelaine Max Maxwell, her trial has been happening for about I think a couple weeks or so, and I think it's, it's actually supposed to expect to be coming to a close pretty soon, within the next couple of days or so. And so Jelaine Maxwell is, uh, she was. She's on trial for uh, child uh, sex trafficking, and her main the main thing against her is that she worked with a guy named Jeffrey Epstein. And if you call Jeffrey Epstein and his whole dealings, basically he ran an entire sex child sex trafficking, uh, pretty much a business almost. And there's many people who have been accused of being involved, who have been proven to be involved, or whatever. It's just, it's a whole, whole mess. And apparently, Jelaine Maxwell was heavily involved with him. And apparently, actually, he, he actually, or she actually, was in a relationship with him during her time. And so... So she faces... I'm not sure. I'm not sure like what the years she faces in prison if she is convicted, but I imagine it's gonna probably be pretty high up there. Probably life in prison, honestly, just by the things that she's being accused of and everything, which is um, rightfully so, honestly, because just some of the things that she's accused of and what Jeffrey Epstein has done. And all that, and she apparently helped with him, is truly disgusting. But if we have kind of been following the trial just a little bit, unfortunately the defense has been having a tough time with their case. So I don't know what exactly is going to happen. But we can only pray that justice is served, honestly. And... Maybe there's evidence to the contrary that I've not personally seen that shows that maybe Jelaine Maxwell wasn't really willingly as involved as um, we um, originally thought. Maybe she's being coerced 
and everything, but from the evidence we have seen, that doesn't seem to be a case. So we don't know for certain. Because there's a lot of things we don't know fully because, you know, this trial is not being recorded, recorded live and everything, and a lot of people are saying that I was very suspicious and all that, but that's actually very common for cases live. This is a federal court case, so usually, I honestly, I can't think of any big case like this has been uh, streamed live for everyone to see. Because for Calvin House trial, um, that was a totally different scenario that wasn't a federal uh, trial, per se. But usually for federal trials like this, is usually not recorded live. It may be audio recorded, but not video recorded. Just kind of for legal reasons and all that. And probably for, <laughs> probably for a good reason. But anyways, again, a lot of this is kind of more focused on what Jeffrey Epstein did and just everything that evolves around him. And apparently, you know, one of the things that have been kind of theories about Jeffrey Epstein, and oh, obviously, I don't think it's a theory, it's just we don't know who was actually exactly is involved with him, is basically that there's many other people that basically worked with him and benefited from uh, the child sex trafficking and everything. And he had an entire island where this happened, and probably apparently many people went visiting this island. And we don't know for certain who did. I mean, it's a couple of people who have been accused, or we have some proof. Others, we, like Bill Clinton, has been accused of this. And a few, few others, I think uh, even Donald Trump has been accused of this. I don't know if that's whether that's credible or not. But who knows? Honestly, and honestly, whoever whoever is involved in this, whoever was involved with Jeffrey Epstein and Jelaine Maxwell in this, should be prosecuted. That includes Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, and, and like these high-profile guys. If they were involved in this, they'd need to go down. Simple as that. Because this is is truly disgusting, evil, evil stuff. And it needs to be stopped. It, need, it really needs to be stopped. And like with Josh Duggar, and while we pray that justice is served, we also do need to pray for her salvation as well. We need to pray that God will save her and draw her to full repentance and surrender as well. We should pray that for everybody. Because that's, that's the only way she could try, you know, she could find true freedom from this. She may be in prison, but her soul, her spirit, will be truly free from that sin. And when she goes, she'll be welcomed up in eternal life, in heaven. So, we do need to pray if that happens for her. And so, as we... So we got kind of the main, kind of the trial part out of the way. So we're going to kind of more focus on the aspects of the trial that's been, that, that is involved with it. So with, um, you know, child pornography, for example, that, that is an entire, again, that's an entire new, whole different level of depravity that I can't even imagine. I mean, you're talking about kids, young as two years old, even younger. I've seen some accusations that have been kids, like infants, who have been involved in this. 
infants. That's insane. That is truly evil and demonic. That is demonic right there. That is, that is absolutely horrible. That is happening. So this kind of stuff, and, and like seriously, anybody who views this stuff, who actively contributes to this stuff, needs to go to prison. It's simple as that, because this is truly evil stuff, and any time someone views it, you're contributing to it. To that. Or if you buy a description, you're contributing to that. It's, it's truly disgusting stuff. It needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped. Because it is, again, it is truly evil, evil stuff. And so is, really, honestly, pornography in general. Pornography in general is evil. It is demonic. It is a sickness that grabs hold of people and enslaves them to it for a long time. And I should know, I'm not speaking from the outside, looking at statistics and everything. I've experienced it. I was enslaved to pornography myself. And I was in it for a long time. And to this day, well, I've, I'm now a follower of Christ. To this day, I'm still, I still struck with it. It is the temptations still come, and I imagine that it will always come for a lot for the rest of my life, pretty much, unless uh, until I die or or until Jesus comes back, because that 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 is the way it goes. Sin doesn't go away; it just stays with you for a long time. So I know from personal experience. The just what this is it like, what it can do to your brain, to your soul, and it's it's not good. It's not good whatsoever. It may feel good in that moment when you look at it, but in the long term, it is it simply isn't. It degrades your soul, it degrades your mind and heart and everything. It is simply not worth it. It simply isn't. It is, it is demonic. It is. There's nothing, nothing redeemable about it. Nothing. But thankfully, there is freedom from it. There's hope to be be free from it, and that hope and freedom can only be found in Jesus Christ. In and in Him alone. Because, I mean, you can try. Going to therapy, or or trying to stay busy, or whatever you—I mean, that may work in the short term, but in the long term, it, it just it will, it will fail. So the only way you can truly get free from the sin and be able to fight this temptation, it is only through Jesus Christ, and that's not just with this sin. With sexual immorality is. Probably the one sin that is, I want to say most, I don't know if I should say most common, but it's definitely, I think, most common among men. I think most men have dealt with this in a lifetime. So, pretty most men know this experience and everything. So, you know how degrading, we, can know, we know how degrading it can be, or how degrading it is to your mind and heart. But again, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. 
and and we got to realize that this is not something unique to to us to, to us personally we're not some weird freaks that struggle with this cuz honestly all humanity struggles with sin in general it may be different forms of sin but in general everybody deals with this as it says in Romans 3, 10 through 18, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Sorry. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. Their, the poison of abs is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of, of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we go down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting from verse 9. Sorry, I'm in 2 Corinthians. So, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting from verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, which is uh, sexual immorality in general, and, 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 and like lust and all that. Um, yeah, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous. Nor junkers, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, sexual immorality, again, is is a sin that if you, especially if you live that, live in that sin, you cannot enter the kingdom of God without Christ. And this really includes all sins. No one is exempt from this. But, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. So we go on to verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So, like myself included, this is something I have lived in. Like pornography or lust, I dealt with that for years. I was enslaved to that sin. But in Jesus Christ, I was washed, I was freed and sanctified from the sin. And that doesn't mean I, d I don't struggle with it. That doesn't mean I don't fail at times. But that doesn't mean I'm not enslaved to it any longer. I might rear, rear its ugly head every once in a while. But I ultimately, in Jesus Christ only, I am free from it. And anyone can testify. Anyone's follow Christ who has dealt with it can testify to that. As it says in Romans... Chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of our of the sin right here, as it says in Romans, is death. The thing we deserve is death. Eternal punishment for like eternal punishment. But God made a way. Through Jesus Christ, so that those of us who believe in him 
will have our sins forgiven and will receive eternal life. I'm just thinking about it. The, the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe became flesh in order to prepare, to make a way for us to access that kingdom. It's truly incredible. It's truly incredible. And we should forever be grateful and always praise him for that. Because we, I did not deserve that. No one on earth deserves that. Deserves that. No one who believes today deserves that. Deserves that. We all deserve death, but God chose to save his people. To save his elect. That's tr truly and truly incredible. Alrighty, so, so now we're going to get into kind of how the church has dealt with this issue. Some good, some bad. But first, you got to go for YouTube or the God of Rebob to check it out. So not only get kind of what the church is, uh, how the church has dealt with it, but also over the topic of Roman Catholicism and also the good stuff for the Bastard of the Week. And rem rem remember, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is the God of Freedom Show. Alrighty, so, like I said um, earlier, so now we're going to get into kind of how the church responds to this issue of pornography and everything. And there's been, you know, some right, some wrong has been done and everything. So let's kind of jump right into it. So as far as, you know, simply calling out as a sin and everything, you know, the church, I mean, good bit of the church has done that correctly. And, but a lot of churches apparently stop there if they even address it at all. Because, excuse me, because over the years, it has become mostly in the more independent Baptist areas. It's become really taboo to even mention this um, sin right here, to even like talk about it. Or in more of the progressive churches, um, they completely affirm it, saying, oh, that's probably okay. Um, you know, God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change or get away from that, or whatever. So the church has not really been done a good job in this area. But unfortunately, many men in the church, myself included, have struggled with it. Thankfully, I go to a church that deals with this, that talks about that the pastor has dealt with this him personally, and strives to walk men through this. Which is an excellent, excellent thing, but unfortunately, there's many churches where they kind of just brush this under the rug. Just brush it under the rug as if it don't exist. And as a result of this, many men have to pretty much put on a mask and just basically hide away the sin. And so, they go to church and... You know, they act like they're all these good, perfect Christians, but in the inside, they're inside, they're just rotting away. And it's very fortunate. It's very fortunate that this is happening. And I'm not, I'm not going to blame the church 100% for that, because the person, the man, does have responsibility for that too. 
But at the same time, the church has not made it easy for it to simply come out because either, either in some churches just probably affirmed or just really taboo to talk about, which it, it, it shouldn't. It really should not be taboo to talk about it because it is something that many men deal with. And not just men, women deal with it as well. But most of the time, it is men that deal with this would deal with this problem with pornography and lust and the church needs to do better a job with this they need to start addressing it yes definitely calling out the sin because it is it is a sin we need to call it out and also and share the gospel with us share them that there's freedom in jesus christ from the sin but the church and the like, pastors need to be careful Wherever it needs to be, need to be careful, not to just stop there, but to walk these men, you know, through it, through the sin, because because they're gonna have, they're gonna be struggling with it for years to come. Uh, for me, I, I know. Again, I'm 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 a follower of Christ, and I found basically freedom from this sin, not full freedom because I still struggle with it, but I no longer am slave to it. But to this day, I've still struggled with it. And many men testified to the same. So, pastors need to be doing a better job at walking the members, their men, in t- like through this battle. It is a spiritual battle that Satan uses to try to stumble the his, his church, to, uh, to stumble the Church of Christ. And... Unfortunately, the church, when they don't address this, they just, they just leave these men to the slaughter. And it's very fortunate that this happens. And the thing is, I mean, because if the church don't, don't, doesn't walk you through it after this, they just say, here's the gospel, there's hope in Jesus Christ, that's it. Um, At that point... You have this false notion that once you're saved, you won't sin anymore. And so anything that you, anytime you do sin, you want to hide it because you're supposed to be perfect. But of course, you won't. <laughs> There's nobody on earth who is perfect. No one, Christian, non-Christian, no one who is perfect. No one, but thing is, for Christians, you have the ability to fight it off. Sometimes you fail, sometimes you you don't. But if you do fail, if you do sin, you don't lose your salvation. And God will be right there to pick it back up and clean it off again. And you continue to walk with him. He won't just abandon you because you, you sin. We're here because he don't see sin on different levels. He sees sin on the same equal level, deserving the same equal punishment. And so, so we need to, as R.C. Sproul famously used to say, right here, if I can pull it up. Anyways, this quote is like this, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. 
yes, we are saved through Jesus Christ. We are given eternal life. But we are still sinners to sin. So Christians need to realize that. Because, unfortunately, many Christians are struggling with the fact that they must be perfect. But you, you don't need to. You can't. You're still a sinner, but you, you, but saved by Christ. And we're going to rather deal with this for many years. Until we die, or until Christ comes back. And that's the hope right there. That's the hope we have. Because at the end, we have the hope of true restoration and full freedom from sin. Full freedom. I mean, I'm talking about you will not sin anymore. All sin will be gone. All evil will be gone. All of it will be gone. Then you'll be truly living in the glory of God in the full image of Him. As it says in Second Peter 3.13 Go to it. So again, 2 Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we, that is, we, that is the church, that is elect, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let me repeat that. 2 Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is what we're looking forward to. And it will come to fruition at the end. So that is described by John in Revelation 21 verses 1 through 9. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any, any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first thing is passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right for, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to, to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cause. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Before the cowardly for am unbelieving, and abominable murderers, immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is in the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So this is our hope. This is what we had to look forward to right here. The full-on restoration of us, of earth of ourselves, of everything. All things will be made new. 
that's why in Second Peter he says we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Because this is where true righteousness will dwell. Where evil will be non-existent. Pain, death, sickness, all that will be non-existent. We'll be living in the glory of God for eternity. For eternity. That is hope we have right there. And that's why the church needs to do a better job addressing the sin to tell people about this hope and not just leave them leave them just stuck in their sin. Leave them stuck in being a slave to it. And but the church the church has failed in many areas and this is one of them, but again there is hope for for this be redeemed, it's, I mean, it's not too late. The church can improve in this area. All right, so now let's move on to the final topic of today. All right, so welcome to part seven of the False Gospel series. So, so far we have covered things like the Red Letter uh, Movement, Universalism, um, Prosperity Gospel, Liberation Theology, Progressive Christianity. So, in this episode, we're going to get a little controversial. I don't, not a little, we're going to be getting pretty controversial because this is going to probably tick a lot of people off, unfortunately. But, I'm not doing it just, I'm not, I'm not doing it to tick people off, by the way. I want to make this disclaimer right now. I'm not doing that for that reason. I'm doing it to try to help lead people to the true gospel. Because there's many, there's many false gospels out there that lead people astray from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, it's definitely where we'll be covering the, the false gospel we're going to be covering here is Roman Catholicism. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why I say this is going to get pretty controversial. Because just many people follow it. And it's a very touchy subject, just to say the least. But it does need to be said. It does, honestly, while it is controversial, it does need to be said. Sometimes you gotta stir up the water. Sometimes you gotta stir up the water in order to, I mean, to really reach people and tell the truth. I mean, it, I just, it had, it, that thing to happen. So, Roman Catholicism. And so, you know, what is it? What exactly is Roman Catholicism that really separates it from the rest of Christianity? What makes it unique? What are the origins, basically? So the origins of the Roman Catholic Church, it, it um, from their viewpoint, how Catholics view it, they view, basically, it goes back to the early church. It started with, in their view, it started with when Jesus declared um, to Peter that on this rock he will build he will build my he will build my my church. He 
I mean, that's like that's what he had said. And so they basically see the the Roman Catholic Church as the true church. But of course, it has roots from there. Pretty much, of course, the church overall is rooted from there. Sorry about that. But the Roman Catholic Church, more specifically, it dates to I think the thirteen hundreds, not not thirteen hundreds, the three hundreds, around there. So the Roman Catholic Church that we know today was actually formed. In the year uh, 312 AD. Um, this is when um, the Roman Emperor Constantine. Uh, he was converted into Christianity supposedly. And the problem was is that he then made some changes within the church. And and these changes, you know, over time, that's, when, that's what developed into what we know today as the Roman Catholic Church. Because he had a bunch of like little pit in the Roman pagan stuff and other things to it that it's really changed the church, the Catholic Church, from what originally was. And it's but and by the way, it is true when people say the Catholic Church is dated back to uh, Peter and Jesus, you know, from the early church. That is true because the word Catholic just simply means universal. So, the Universal Church, of course, is rooted from there. But we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church, which is a whole nother different beast right here. So, again, it started with Constantine, just him changing some of the aspects of Christianity that unfortunately took root and just, you know, took priority over the true gospel. And, and it became, it's probably the most popular, over time it became the religion of Roman of, of Rome up until it, it fell and then it became the main religion of England of all of Europe and all of that and it, it stayed like that until really until the Protestant Reformation by God's grace um, by the Protestant Reformation brought back really not really brought back but really took people took people back to the true gospel Anyways, so in order to really understand the Catholic Church, we need to really kind of delve into their beliefs, you know, what they believe and everything. And so I have a list of their different beliefs. So what I'm going to do is going to list them, and then I'm going to break them down and just kind of see what the Bible has to say about each one. So for the beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church, so number one is that the Pope is the head of the church. But the Pope or the bishops are the head of the church. They have the authority over the church body. They can change doctrine if they want. And all that, and it all goes, everything goes through them. It also relates to the next point, that the, the Pope is infallible. So, anytime the Pope makes a change in doctrine or whatever, you can't question it because the Pope is infallible. They can't make any mistakes. They are perfect. And also, number, point number three, um, their view of the Word of God is that they view the Word of God as this. That scripture is scripture mixed with tradition. So tradition, traditional 
customs, whether or not, regardless of whether or not it is, it is rooted in Christianity, in all that tradition mixed with the scripture, that is the word of God, according to the Catholics. And then, here's where we get to some crazy parts right here. Um, point number four is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, never sinned. She was perfect, just like Jesus. She was not born with a sin nature or anything like that. And also, Mary is a mediator between us and God. We had to, we had to, you know, pray to her in order for us to access God, in order to access Je um, Jesus, God through Jesus Christ. Because we, it's because of their divinity, we can't, according to Catholics, we can't access them. So we had to go through Mary instead. And then we, um, the next point is that grace is merited through good works. So in order to earn grace, to get grace, you had to do these good works in order to receive grace by God. And the same thing goes with faith. You know, you're, you're justified by faith, of course, and also by works. So faith with, with good works is what justifies you and saves you, ultimately. And sometimes, according to the Catholics, actually, that 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 salvation part, if, even if you do ultimately get justified by a good, if you do good works and have faith, if you do if you sin, you commit a mortal sin in their view, you'll lose that. You have to start all over. And the next point is that the work of Christ, yes, you're forgiven for your sin, but you're not fully washed away from it. You, the sin is not washed away. You have to do all these things in order to ultimately be cleansed at the end, which leads into the final point is that ultimately, if you do, if you still have sin you have not cleansed, you got to go to purgatory in order to be fully cleansed from that sin. In order, in other way, in other words, Christ. The work of Christ, his death on the cross, didn't ultimately didn't ultimately wash away your sins. You still have to do these things in order to um, make yourself presentable before God. And so, obviously, there's a lot of difference between what Protestants believe and what Catholics believe. So, like I said, we're, what we're going to do is really break down each point I listed and see what Scripture has to say. So, point number one is that the Pope is the head of the church. Nope, he is not. Christ is the head of the church. Christ alone is the head of the church. Because in that point in Matthew, in uh, other Gospels, when he said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church, he didn't say Peter's church. He said, my church. And he is the, he is the leader, the head of this church, of the body of Christ. So, let's go to Colossians 1, verse 18. Past it. <clears throat> so, Colossians 1, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Next, let's go to Roman, or sorry, Ephesians 5, 
23. So Ephesians 5, 23 says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So Christ, now the, now the Pope, the Pope is not the head of the church, Christ is the ultimate head of the church. Only and only him. Yes, there's many leaders, like pastors and everything, but Christ himself is the head of the church. Now going on to the next point is that the Pope is infallible. Nope, he is not. The Pope, the Pope is not infallible at all. Only God is infallible. Only God. There's no human being on earth who is infallible. All of us are fallible. All of us are sinners, including the Pope. As it says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, let's go to Romans, or sorry, Numbers 23 real quick. So Romans, uh, sorry, Numbers 23, verse 19, this describes the infallibility of God. God is not a man, and that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should repent. As he said, he, uh, will he not do it? Or has, as, as, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And so, in other words, God is fully perfect, and he cannot make any mistakes. He cannot lie or anything. So he's only true and fallible being. As with the Pope, the Pope is a human being who sins. And so he is fully capable of sinning and making mistakes. So he is, in fact, fall fallible. <laughs> the idea that they claim that a human being can be fallible is truly interesting. It's very, very, very interesting. Alrighty, so the next point is for the Word of God that Scripture mixed with the tradition is the Word of God. Nope. Nope, not at all. Only Scripture is the Word of God. Only Scripture. Not these traditions. Scripture is the Word of God that He has revealed to us. As it says in uh, to go to the First Thessalonians chapter 2, Verse 13. So First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but of what it really is, the word of God, which also performs as work in you who believe. And next, let's go to Second Timothy, chapter 3, starting from verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. 
So scripture is clear about what scripture is. It is the word of God. Not traditions, not what the Pope says. Scripture alone is the word of God that he has revealed to us. And now, the next point is that, this crazy point, is that Mary never sinned. Mary was perfect, just like Jesus. I'm sorry to break it to y'all. No, she wasn't. Look, I, I can't even wrap my mind around that one. But there I did that Mary had to be perfect in order, in order for Jesus to be perfect. That makes no sense. And it's unnecessary. Mary was a human. Yes, Mary had a special role, and she and she was highly favored by God. Of course, I'm not denying that at all. She she was very important, but she was a human being like us. She sinned like us. Only Jesus was the. Oh, Jesus was the only one who was without sin. So let's go to Second Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And First Peter, chapter 2, verse 22. Let's start with uh, verse, actually verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So Christ, Jesus Christ was the only one who ever walked earth without who is without sin. Every other being, human being, who has walked on earth, sinned and was a sinner. It's simple as that, including Mary. And also the next point is that Mary is a... Sorry, that Mary was a mediator between... Is a mediator between us and God. Because we cannot directly go to God. We had to go through another kind of hum one who was less divine in order to access God. And, nope, I'm sorry, only, Christ is the only mediator between us and God. As simple as that, only Christ. That's, that is First Timothy, chapter 2, verse 5. Right there. Sorry, let me go to it. Again, First Timothy, chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator which also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So because of what um, Jesus did through through his death, burial, resurrection, we have direct access to God. So we don't pray to Mary, we don't pray to the saints in order to access God. We can go directly to him because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. So that part is false. So the next part is that grace is merited through good works. And nope, grace is a free gift from God by which we are saved. That is Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 8 through 9. So again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse eight, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that, and that not of your, yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. No one may boast. And also next part is that one is justified by faith and by works. No, we are justified by faith alone. That is Romans 3.28. So to go back to it. So again, that's Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And now let's go to Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that God, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he will be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. In these whom he justified, he also glorified. And so, the reason I read that part is kind of to show you the process of salvation and becoming justified and everything. So, we're not justified by the things we do, only through our faith, which God gives us. Because those of us, you know, those who were predestined before the foundation of the earth, to be saved by God, he's the one who works in the heart. He's the one through the Holy Spirit that draws us to the Father and through through Jesus Christ, we are saved, and then we are um, justified. Yeah, we are justified, and then we are glorified in Him. And none of that, none of it is in our, of our darn doing. None of it. We cannot do that ourselves. And so the next part is that the works of Christ, His death on the cross. Yes, it can be done for is used for forgiving your sin, but it's not fully washed away. You got to still do these things to cleanse yourself from these sins. And nope, not at all, because the work of Christ cleanses you from these sins. That doesn't mean you don't stop sinning, but you are cleansed from the sins. Basically, what happens is is that while you still sin, you are seen as righteous before God. Before the Father. So, <clears throat> even though you do sin, you'll see as righteous before him. So his work was efficient. It was complete. As, he has, as Jesus himself says in John 19, verse 30. This is when he's dying. This is his last words before dying on the cross. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. It is finished. It is completely finished. So there's no more that we need to do to cleanse ourselves from sin, because he has done the work. All we have to do is repent and surrender to him. And he, he is faithful to forgive our sins, and we receive eternal life. And this relates back to, and to the final part, um, the idea of purgatory, 
where you go there for a final cleansing, apparently? No. <laughs> Not at all. That is a complete, a complete false thing. I, I, I don't even know where it comes from. There's nothing in scripture about purgatory. And again, it really, what it does, hold on one second. Alright, sorry about that. But anyways, with purgatory, again, I, I just don't know where it comes from. Like the idea with purgatory is the idea that you have to go there to to find like full cleansing from from your sin. Like if you still have sin, you got to go there to be fully cleansed. It really diminishes the work of Christ and what He did. It makes it to where it was insufficient that you still have to do all these things to make yourself presentable before God. And that is false. That is absolutely false. There's nothing we can do whatsoever to make ourselves presentable before God. There's nothing we can do. It's only through Jesus Christ that is made possible. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can receive eternal life. And once we believe, we will receive eternal life. As it says in John chapter 3, starting from verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes one in him will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So in other words, once we believe in Christ, we will receive eternal life. That is the promise he made. He did not say, once we believe in him, we will have our sins forgiven, but you still have to do all these things in order to really achieve eternal life. Uh, so, so yes, there's some similarities between uh, Catholicism and Christianity, like there's only salvation through Christ alone, sort of, sort of, kind of, but there's only one God, the Trinity, and all that. But ultimately, I'm sorry to break it to y'all, but the Catholic Catholicism is ultimately a false gospel. I mean, and, and really in it, in the Catholic Church, there's no hope of salvation. Because the idea that you have to do all these things in order to really, to hold on to salvation. And, and if you commit a mortal sin, because in the Catholic Church there's different levels of sin. There's kind of the lesser sin, also, but the mortal sins. So if you if you commit the kind of the lesser sins, you still repent, but you won't lose salvation. But if you commit a mortal sin you will lose your salvation and you have to start the process all over again. So there's no hope and there's no, there's no assurance of your salvation. But the problem is, scripture is very clear that once you're in Christ, you're eternally secure in him. And it says in Romans chapter 8, Verse 30, starting with verse 38. For I am convinced 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other credit thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, we are eternally secure once we are truly surrendered to Christ. There's nothing we can do to lose it because there was nothing we can do to gain it in the first place. As John MacArthur says, if we, can, if we could lose our salvation, we would. If I could lose my salvation, I definitely would. I would lose it in a heartbeat. But thankfully, by the God's grace, we can't. We cannot lose our salvation because there's nothing we can do to lose it. And and so when I call Catholicism a false gospel, I don't mean that. Uh, what I don't mean is that anyone who is a Catholic is a false convert, because I'm I'm pretty sure there are true there are true Christ followers in the Catholic Church, and but we do need to pray that God will leave them out of there, into his true gospel. Because, again, that, 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 the Catholic Church, their doctrine is false. I know this will make people angry, but it's the truth. We have to call out false gospels, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 of verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace by grace of Christ, by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or angel from, um, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and I so I say it again: if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So it is taken that is taken seriously. Jesus himself took false teaching very seriously seriously. So we have to be we have to call out, we have to call out false gospels. The even popular ones. But we gotta be careful now to do it out of spite, out of anger, out of hatred, we gotta do it in love. And it is a loving to tell the truth, but to tell the truth about the false teaching of the of the, uh, the Catholic Church. But at the same time, you got to tell them, you know, again, there is freedom in Christ. You're not stuck there. If you fully surrender to Christ and repent of your sins, you're in Him, and then you can pray to Him to help you lead. Be led out of that false teaching. Because again, the Catholic Church, while there are true believers in it, it is a false church. The true church is in Christ alone, who holds the true gospel. And in him, it's the only hope we have. Not in the Pope, not in the traditions of the church, or anything, only in Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Not our glory, for God's glory alone. Alrighty, so, now we got that out of the way. So now let's move on to Acts. So we're going to continue to move through the book of Acts. So we're in uh, Acts chapter 12. And verse 17, I believe. Yeah, verse 17. Excuse me. So anyway, to kind of give you more background what's been going on. So Peter was just arrested. So Herod has now really come after the church in chapter chapter 12. Yeah, James, the brother of John, Apostle John, who was mur- um, uh, murdered. And then now Peter was arrested and sent to prison. And he was set to be uh, killed as well. But um, God sent an angel to free him from there. And then now he has arrived at Mark's house, where he explains, you know, what's been going on and everything. Which is actually the house of Mary, the mother of Mark. Which is... Don't even get me started again on the names, because that is just so confusing, because Mark's other name is a John. So there's multiple Johns, multiple Marys, a lot of Marys, a lot of James. So that's just... <laughs> I mean, it's so many common names in the script. It's very difficult to keep, kind of keep track on who is who. That's why you can be careful to really read the text. Because you will get confused if you don't. Trust me on that. So anyways, uh, last time we left off on verse 16. So we'll be starting from verse 17 here. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And then he let him went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no small disturbance among soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him, he had not found him. He examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution. Then he went down to Judea and um, Caesarea and was spending, the, spending time there. So, kind of start off with, in verse 17, we have Peter who just arrived at the house... And, you know, a lot of them thought that Peter was dead, you know, I think. But, you know, when they saw him, you know, they said, wait, Peter is alive. And so, you know, he told them to, you know, be quiet. And, you know, of course, told them what exactly happened and told them, you know, go tell, you know, James and the other brethren. And now, by James, I'm assuming that's either the other James, now the James' brother, John, or the the, one, the the James that was apostle or a, a disciple of Jesus, or the James who was the brother of Jesus. Jesus is I, I don't know who is that is, but is that one of them? And then then Peter went off, and then we get to verse eighteen nineteen, where obviously Peter escaped from jail, so that caused caused some tension there, and Harry basically had the uh, guards who were in charge of that be executed. And let's say 
that Harriet is pretty angry about what's happening here, which we'll get into um, into the next session uh, next time. All right, so now let's move on to the gifts of the week. So we have a couple things. So um, the first thing I want to talk about is is that this weekend is the opening for Spider-Man No Way Home. It's been long awaited, and and let me just say, this has been a really... Oh, excuse me, sorry about that. I don't know why I keep bulging like that. But this has been a very highly, highly anticipated and hyped up movie. And I, I'm just... I cannot wait to see it. Because it's just... By what the rumors we have seen so far, and everything, so I can't wait. I mean, I personally have seen a couple things, a couple spoilers that only makes me more excited, but has confirmed some things that I knew, oh, without pretty much already knew, anyways. But anyways, I'm super excited to see this movie, and just. Help us that. So, anyways, here's actually the trailer for Spider Man No Way Home, right here. Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. Watch that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter. You're struggling. Damn everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone.
They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. December 17th, exclusively at movie theaters. Tickets on sale November 29th. Spider Monday. So again, I am very hyped for this movie, and I can't wait to actually see it in person. And apparently it has gotten a lot of great reviews, so it looks like it's going to be really, really good. So um, I'll be seeing that. I'm sorry, recording this on Friday the 17th, so I'll be seeing it tomorrow the 18th. And so, so now we got that part out of the way. So if you probably guessed, maybe probably didn't guess, or probably guessed, this is actually my final episode of this year. This will be the last episode before Christmas break and New Year's and everything. And so, um, before we go, I do have a couple of things that will be happening um, within this uh, break. So, um, probably on Monday, the uh, that'll be the 20th, I will be releasing a review of Spider-Man No Way Home. And... And for y'all, I'll, I'll be re- this episode will be come out on the 19th, so it'll be the next day after that you'll get the review. And also, um, I'll be recording a little kind of s- small Christmas special, if you will, kind of talking about the birth of, the birth of Christ and what it means and everything. So um, that'll be pre-recorded probably on this um, on Monday as well. But I think I'm gonna release it on. On Christmas Day, I'm gonna have a schedule scheduled to release on Christmas and everything. So, uh, we'll I'll come to uh, ultimate decision um, about that later. But that's my uh, goal right now. But otherwise, I mean, if you don't see those, um, yeah, I'll, this is again my final episode of this year. So I'll be back here, back in 2022. Probably, I mean, again, within the past couple of years, in 2020 and the 2021, it started pretty darn insane. So I imagine 2022 is going to start insane as well. So we're back here covering whatever craziness happens. Um, everyone have a wonderful Christmas and New Year and spend time with family. Um, if you're on break, enjoy it and everything. If you're at the work or anything, I'm sorry. About that. But otherwise, you know, enjoy Christmas. Enjoy this time. And I'll see y'all back in 2022. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is Guide to Freedom Show. If you enjoy this episode of the Guide to Freedom Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find the show on a podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening and watching, and as always, all glory to be to God.